Last week, we asked the question, should you start a nonprofit or partner with one? And this week, we're talking about cultural critical mass. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple pivots in the for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Working with a nonprofit recently, we realized that they needed to kind of start from the ground up with one of the teams of volunteers, and uh, we had to help them through a little bit of a process of kind of cleaning up and 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 kind of deconstructing what was there a little bit to start building something new. When you've got a dilapidated building, it's not good to start adding on additions. You want to kind of break things down to their foundations and start from there. So for the process that we were going through, we decided let's just keep this team really, really small until we can establish a really healthy culture that can grow. And through that process, things have turned out great in this organization. That's really going to be the conversation that we're having today about limiting involvement in the beginning to produce healthy culture. Ooh, I love this conversation because a lot of times as leaders, uh, when we start something, we think the best thing that we can do, step one, is to shout it from the rooftops and any person who wants to come in is welcome because we want a team of people surrounding us. A giant team. A giant team. Hundreds of people. Um, Well, sometimes giant teams can be... Like sometimes 10 people is too many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But that's a lot of times what we think the first step is. We get the, we know what we're trying to do. We know we have to start again. And instead of saying, let's start small and really make sure this is solid and that our foundation is set, it's like, let's bring in as many people as possible. And I think sometimes this can kind of set up a team for um, a rocky journey if the culture hasn't been set first. And that's really what happens. If you have not, as the nonprofit leader or as the team leader within your nonprofit, set up that culture, made sure it's healthy, made sure your key leaders know what's going on. Um, But instead, you just bring a bunch of people around you and say, hey, we are going. Um, It can end up with a lot of tension and conflict and really ending up in a worse place down the road if you're not careful. I don't like saying that, but it's true. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, working in nonprofit and working with teams where you invite volunteers or new people to be a part of it or even a staff is a lot like uh, breeding uh, animals. (laughs) And and I'll explain why. (laughs) Okay. I'll explain why. If you start with an animal that's very sick, and has a lot of like genetic diseases and and that kind of stuff, you're not going to have a healthy time as it reproduces as that, as that family line goes down, it's going to get worse and worse over time. And so it's really important to start with something really healthy. That's why like purebred dogs are so like valuable, right? Because they're like, Oh, they're, they're, you know, they're not starting with all of this like mix, right? They Mm -hmm. have a very, set standard of like, this is what we're doing. And so I like to kind of think like that when I'm thinking about growing or building a team, let's start with something that is super, super healthy and solid. So 
when it reproduces, and it will, it's going to reproduce, especially if it's healthy, mm-hmm. it's going to automatically reproduce. We don't want to grow any unhealth in this organization at the exponential rate that will inevitably happen when a team grows. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you can start with an unhealthy team with people with bad attitudes, people with uh, not a good understanding of what the vision is or what the culture is, um, and it can deteriorate things really, really quickly. Um, and the problem is that it's so concentrated in that small team environment that if you don't have things set strongly in the beginning, it's really easy for them to unravel really quick. Yes. And I think this is especially true. Um, I mean, it's really true when you're starting a nonprofit, but I think pretty much when you're getting started, you're being really careful about the board members that you're bringing in. You're getting your close friends who understand your heart to help you start volunteering. You're having the one-on-one conversation. So I think naturally when you start a nonprofit, there's a little bit more natural protection of culture because the culture is formed around the person leading in. So even if it isn't as um, intentional, I do think that it tends to be a little bit... um, I want to say generally healthier just because it's kind of directly replicating who the leader is. And so chances are you're not going to end up with as much tension right away. Which is really important then that the leader, that we as the leaders, make sure that we're in a healthy place. Ooh, that's really because good. Because it's in the, especially in the formation parts of our organizations or our teams, all of our idiosyncrasies and the things that we are doing that are unhealthy, maybe we're workaholics or maybe we... Um, just demand too much of other people or whatever it is. Like maybe we just have, everybody's got their quirks, right? Mm -hmm. But if we're not intentional to know those about ourselves, it's those things are going to spread and that's the team that we're going to build around us. And that's just going to exponentially grow as well. Mm -hmm. So it's true. You do want to be very aware of that. I do think that, a point where you also have to be very aware, but it becomes even harder to change. Where at the beginning, if you're aware and you're very on top of it right away, it's not as hard to change because it's you. It's you and a couple people and you can just kind of naturally build that in. However, if you're at a point, let's say you're a leader of a team um, as part of a nonprofit and you start to realize, man, this is going stinky or you're stepping in as a new leader of a team and you're saying, this is not looking good. The hard part about that is not only do you have to have that hard changeover and say, we are establishing a new culture, a new rhythm, a new attitude, a new way that everything is done. That first initial, here's what we're doing, is hard. But what's even harder is the four to six to eight weeks after when your team shrinks by about 50% because people who were creating (laughs) the old culture don't want to live up to the new culture. And so sometimes as leaders, you look at that and when we're helping or, you know, consulting with a seller nonprofit, we were seeing the team shrink and just saying, just hold on, hold on, hold on. It's distilling. It's getting more concentrated, but it's the good, like the good is coming out yeah, and everything having... else is taking care of itself. But we got to hold on. If we start adding in too much before it gets down, before everyone's out, before everyone who's in is really in, you're going to end up in the same situation again, but you got to hold on. And that can be so hard. And we understand as a nonprofit leader to watch a team dwindle and think, 
man, maybe I don't have to hold the line that hard. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe I could just, this is, maybe this is a bad idea. It's shrinking. Things are, and having somebody from outside of your organization to kind of just see and be that third party watching that happen can be really helpful. Cause I remember in that process, having that conversation many times, just saying, it's going to be okay. Trust us. Like I know things are looking a little bit small, but we just had a culturectomy. Like we had to actually <laughs> remove part of the culture, which is going to remove some of the people who don't like, like the way things are. And it's unfortunate, but I mean, what we were building was like a culture where everybody is friendly with each other and lifts each other up and is there for each other. And it's like the people who didn't want to be a part of that were leaving. And it, while it felt like, oh my gosh, we have, we have fewer people in this team it was starting to actually feel really good. Yeah, you started experiencing a team that was like laughing together and telling jokes and making little like kind of there were inner like inner jokes happening and and you're yep. hearing this and it's like this is smaller but this is healthy. And when it's healthy, there's so much more potential for growth and growth that isn't going to infect the rest of the organization negatively. Yeah. And I think a lot of people understand this. I mean, we think about, you know, pruning a tree, pruning a bush, right? Like cutting off some dead, dead branches that, you know, just needed to go. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, people understand that the process is going to happen, just like people understand that on a roller coaster, there's going to be a drop. And yet the majority of people on a roller coaster are holding on because they don't like how it feels. They're like, I signed up for this. I knew it was coming. I, I know I'm going this. down. I paid money for this. I got on it and I know I'm going to be fine, but you cannot pry my hands from this because I am scared. <laughs> and there's no no shame in that. It's mm-hmm. not a good feeling to have a team that you know, you know that it's going to take like five people worth of resources to get a thing done. And now you have two people. Mm-hmm. It's really, really scary. But... Just remembering that healthy cultures attract healthy culture and unhealthy culture attracts unhealthy culture or attracts no one. Like that's it repels people. Unhealthy culture eventually leads to a place of stagnation and you feel trapped with the unhealthy culture. Mm -hmm. If you realize, man, we just need to get rid of it and start again. It is scary because you're losing the pool of people, but there suddenly becomes life. And once you can get a little bit of life into a team, then it has the chance of growing way beyond what it did before. Unhealthy cultures, they don't multiply. And if they are multiplying, pretty soon it's going to um, get past the tipping point with the rest of your organization where it's out of control and it actually outweighs all of the other healthy teams in the organization. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a cancer, you know, at a certain point, a cancer that's growing becomes deadly and you got to be careful about that. And the best time to address it is early on before it has a chance to do that because let's be honest, we don't want to hurt people's feelings. And if we have to fire half the volunteers who are coming in to help with an event or whatever, like that's, even though they didn't have the right attitude, it still sucks for them to get oh, let, you know, let go from a volunteer opportunity. It's like, dude, you weren't even paying me and you still have to fire me? Like, that's, yeah, like I'm I, willing I'll... to do this for free and you still don't want me? Like, <laughs> that stinks. Right. No so we, we, we owe that. it to those people and to their um, you know, sense of self-worth <laughs> to head this off now before we even get down to that point where we have lots of people we need to have hard conversations with. I mean, really, it's just it's about creating fewer problems for yourself in the future. Mm-hmm. 
Now, if you are going through this process, recognize that you don't have to have all the hard conversations with all of the individual people right away. Chances are you've already communicated with them. Um, And so there is actually a way that you can go in and establish new boundaries and wait to have the conversations until those individuals push back and initiate the conversation with you. Um, Sometimes we think we need to meet with everyone before. And yes, there is an important moment where you want to let your key leaders who you are planning on having stick around know what's going on before you start doing this um, so that they're on board and they're not like, what, what? what's happening. (laughs) Like you want them to know. But sometimes I think we make the mistake of thinking everyone has to be bought in before we make a change. When the reality is, if you have a toxic um, team, you don't want everyone's buy-in for the change. You want the people who are healthy on the team and who are pro being healthier going forward. You want their buy-in. Everyone else, they are not going to buy in because they are going to buy into an unhealthy culture. And if health right. and if the healthier organization means that they have to change, chances are they're not going to buy into it and that is okay. Mm-hmm. It is totally okay. You will find some people that say, "Wow, you know, I I do need to make this adjustment." And that kind of makes it worth it. You know, some people are going to, you know, no matter how hard you, mm-hmm. uh, no, hard, no matter how many hard conversations you have with them, they're just, they're never going to adjust things. And it's unfortunate, but I mean, you really do have to think about the health of the group as a whole and think about from the perspective of the people who are um, watching you lead, you know, are they feeling cheated because, you know, so great example of this is uh, back when I was leading music, we had to do rehearsal time stuff all the time, like making adjustments to rehearsal times, changing when we were going to be starting rehearsal. And I remember um, we had at one point, we had a really big problem about half of the people that were on the team. It was a worship team for a church. About half the people on the team would show up 15, 30 minutes late. It was like half the people out of like, like, I think we had like 40 people or so on the team, about half of them were showing up late. Some of them are younger people who were learning responsibility. And some of them are older people who just like never had learned that kind of responsibility. <laughs> right. And, um, but it was the culture. If half of the people are doing it, just, it doesn't matter how much you say we have to get here on time. Like, you're fighting the culture. So we had to make a really, really strong adjustment. And I remember it being a very painful process because I talked to everybody and I said, here's what we're going to do. We have to start rehearsal a half hour earlier. And um, then I had to do the hard work of like following up with the people who weren't there on time. And it was interesting. Some of the people would show up a half hour, like actually started kind of showing up on time, but then they had a conversation with me like, I just don't think we need this much rehearsal time and all this stuff. I was like, I totally understand, but we wouldn't need to be here a half hour earlier if everybody had showed up on time before. And all of a sudden people like started putting their, like the gears start turning in people's heads and they start to understand because when thing, when something is just a cultural thing, it just happens because it happens. Mm -hmm. But when something, when you address it and actually have the conversations with people, when they ask the questions, you don't just like lay down the law and say, well, that's just because, because I'm in charge and that's the way it is, you know, but you actually have the conversation to help them understand the logic of why behind it. Some people don't really actually care about the logic and they're just, they're always going to be the person who shows up late. And then unfortunately at that point, you have to make it a little bit of an example of that person say, listen, if you can't show up on time or prepared, 
we can't have you be a part of the team. It's a, it's wasting everybody else's time. And while that's going to be hard for that person, the person who's showing up on time and putting in the work, they're going to be so glad that you're their leader. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause you just protected their investment. Well, I know from walking through that, like seeing you walk through that and knowing where we are today, you have some musicians who are still loyal to you for doing that, even though you're not even a part of that organization anymore. Some of those musicians were the ones who showed up late all the time. Mm-hmm. They, they like through those conversations, they, they realized like, oh my gosh, Jeff showed up here on time and I was 15 minutes late. I wasted 15 minutes of Jeff's time. It wasn't mm-hmm. like I just showed up late and oh my gosh, now I have to like pick it up a little bit. It's like they were waiting for me and just sitting around. Yeah, they were just waiting. But I think... What I like about that example and from other organizations that we've worked with is having that kind of team where it seems like, man, something icky is going on here or um, like we need to make a culture shift. Just because the culture isn't healthy doesn't mean everyone on the team is opposed to health. Like you might end up with a couple people who it's like, yep, they're just going to say, you know what? I'm never going to show up on time. And then they're not going to be part of the team anymore. But (laughs) you're right. You aren't. But (laughs) if we look at a team that has like 25 people and it looks like it's unhealthy, we might say, man, that's kind of a toxic team. Chances are maybe one or two of them are going to be the ones who ultimately aren't going to make it. Sometimes the percentage might be higher, but chances are the vast majority of the people, like you're going to have the small group who's always positive, who's trying to change it around themselves, who are going to be so thankful to you. And then you're going to have a larger group of people who just didn't even realize that it wasn't healthy. And once they start to see the benefit, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, thank you for showing us a better way of doing this. We super appreciate the fact that you had these hard conversations and that you stepped in, that you're forcing us to change because this change is actually improving other parts of my life. Um, And that's really big because you don't want to diagnose a team situation um, and then give that same diagnosis to every single person on the team. That's really, really good. That's really good. Because I remember hating that feeling in school and like one kid was loud in class. So we all had to like take a time out Mm -hmm. or like um, or uh, when when I was a kid, I I don't have any specific examples, but like, you know, one of one of my siblings would get us all in trouble. So now none of us are going to the pool. Mm -hmm. It's like, Come on, man. I like, bet I can guess what sibling. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. Um, but but for real, this this conversation about starting with a small, healthy, it's just so much easier. So mm-hmm. this, this is what we're talking about. It's so much easier to deal with these cultural issues when it's a small, compact uh, environment and an organic growth environment. As mm-hmm. soon as you start throwing in inorganic growth um strategies and stuff uh that's when things can get really messy unless you have a super solid structure so i see people like posting hey we're having this volunteer opportunity for our nonprofit. and say it's like a 5k or something like come on out and help us help us with this thing and they post it out on facebook that's an inorganic growth strategy and you're gonna attract lots of different kinds of people from throwing that out on facebook right But if you just focused on the three people that you have and made their experience so incredibly valuable that they went home that night and said, I'm going to call my cousin because she would love to help out with this next time. Mm -hmm. That's an organic 
growth strategy that starts with you servicing the people who are closest to you in the organization, that team, that team of leaders, making their experience so incredible that they can't help but invite other people to help. Yeah. That is that is powerful and that is so much easier to deal with than you throwing out like this big giant mailer or something to try yeah. to attract randos. Now, I will say, like, having your team, like, be so excited that then they're inviting people, that protects culture because each person who's already bought into the culture, their chances are they're not going to invite someone who is not going to fit in or who is not going to understand what the culture is. Or isn't going to be able to at least, like, learn it or be duplicate them. Like, mm-hmm. people duplicate themselves yep. generally. I know this from other events that I've been to in the past where they'll be like, yeah, and you can bring a guest. And a lot of times for a first event, like, I might bring someone who I trust to kind of, like, scope it out with me. Um, but if I know what the event is ahead of time, there are some people that I will invite and some people I won't, simply because I know you're going to enjoy the atmosphere here or you are not going to enjoy the atmosphere here. <laughs> and that's the benefit of doing that more natural approach where people want to bring in their own people. Now, the Facebook thing can work. The mailer can work. But your culture has to be so strong and so clear and the volunteer position set up so well that if you get someone in there who does not um, fit in with the culture that you're trying to build, that they are so overwhelmed in terms of like that, whatever it is that they're putting out, maybe it's some negativity or something else, like the rest of the culture is so overwhelming (laughs) in terms of just how established it is that people don't really even notice. They're like, oh, Yep, they must be a one-time volunteer. They're they're not part of this organization. Um, because it just it has to be that established. And I think sometimes we want to throw out the wide net and get all the people in. Um, but listen, it's so much easier to limit the involvement early on, build your core super healthy, super and then strong. expand your core from there than it is to get 50 people out for the first thing that your organization does. And then pretty soon you have someone who maybe has a louder personality than you and they start steering the Derail the whole thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and coin the term right now. Cultural critical mass. Ooh, I like it. Cultural critic. Yes, I know. I'm very smart. No, it just, uh, it's (laughs) what I think of. It's what I think of when you're, you know, you're, let's say you're doing an event to try to grow your volunteer base. You want to have enough critical, cultural critical mass that the amount of people that you're expecting to come cannot overpower the culture. Now, you might have three people who are so like, like on your team that are so powerful with their understanding of the culture and their like maybe their charisma and they're just like the kind of people that those three people could overpower 30 random people Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a people numbers game you got to think about how much cultural power does your organization currently have and is that going to be enough to actually um and effectively sort from the masses because Mm -hmm. everything is a sorting game. It's just, it's about figuring out like who, who is going to have a good time serving in this organization and who isn't, you know, who's going to enjoy like maybe changing a couple things about their personality. Like maybe they're, they, they're going to really like being less of a grumpy person, but some people want to stay grumpy people and that's just how it's going to be. So (laughs) you want to have the cultural critical mass that it sends those signals to the right people. They say like, wow, this, this uh, this culture really like resonates with me. I like this. This this feels like it's who I am. And they're gonna say, "Hey, I wanna I wanna help out. Yeah, I wanna see what I can do to help." Either it feels like who I am, or this is who I want to be. Like that yeah. person who's like, "If I'm a part of this, I am better." Like 
I'm going to, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to grow to be the person who I've been trying to become or whatever it is. Um, But I love that cultural critical mass. It's huge for a nonprofit. Be careful. Just be careful. And if you are in a spot where you are getting started and you're just not sure how to start building that culture, or if you're at a place where you're like, we have built a culture and this is not the right culture, we need to make a couple <laughs> adjustments, but you don't know what the adjustments are, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you can email us at office at legacybuildersintl.com. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com.